Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you'll take the notes out in the weekly bulletin, they'll aid us this morning as we desire to bring to light uh, what the truths are that God desires for us to uh, learn and to discern from this passage as we walk through it together. And uh, it's Brief reminder, uh, the reason for the note, our goal and desire is that, um, can we, are these lights already off? Can we add, turn the first two lights on so these guys up here can see? Our goal would be to make sure they can read the Bible. And uh, so we would just hit those first lights. So that would be awesome. Um, so in that, our goal is that the notes that we have that we provide, isn't that we, that we believe the notes are somehow divinely inspired uh, them by themselves. Our goal is that what we receive as disciples, we reproduce that other people's lives. And so uh, the notes are helpful. They can aid us in that process, the Lord willing, that we could be able to continue to see the gospel uh, and the kingdom of God extending and advancing to other locations as well. And uh, the reason I brought the lights up, it's really important that we, if you you see where the, the scripture comes from uh, or the where the teachings come from, that it comes from scripture. And we're not just up here making this stuff up on our own. We want you to be like Acts 17, the Bereans that would study to, uh, for themselves to see if the things that were, they were being taught was actually true. And so if you don't have a Bible, or if you didn't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, you don't have it on your phone or a, some kind of electronic device, if you do, we'll be reading. We're reading at the ESV version. But if not, uh, there's black Bibles in the pews. And if you don't have one, that's a gift for us to you. Please take that, study it today, walk through it, mark it up, and, um, and to be able to use it. And if you're thinking, man, I really, um, I hate marking the Bible. Well, here, here's the deal. Um, we want you that the Bible, not only that you would mark the Bible, that the Bible would mark you. And so that's our goal. And so for me, if you were to see my, even this first Peter, man, I, I mark all in it because it, I, I need to not just uh, honor the Bible by reading it and honoring these pages. I need to honor it by the way I live. And so for me, it helps me to be able to mark it up and begin to dissect it and make sure I understand what it's saying. So uh, don't allow legalism to keep you from studying the Bible in a manner that would be helpful for you. So that would be to aid you in that. So. And why would all that to be said? Why we want the lights up and the Bibles to be out and for us to know where these things come from? It's because we're, we are in a world that's full of sin. And as a result of a world being full of sin, we're going to suffer. And that's the intent of this letter that Paul or Peter is writing to the church. It's to aid them and encourage them. And the first few verses, he begins to talk about a salvation that is theirs. Um, that one that would provide them hope. Uh, and, and difficult times, one of those that, where did that hope come from? It came from God, that God is the one who has began this plan in us, and he's the one who caused us to be born again to this living hope, uh, to an inheritance that is ours, not an inheritance that's being kept for us in heaven, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's being kept by God's power. It's being guarded there by God's power uh, in heaven for us. Uh, and how is it being guarded? Through the faith that he's granted us. Uh, and so that as a result of that, and what do we begin to learn about that, but ultimately that even now in difficult times, we can rejoice. We can rejoice even through the, tested, our, uh, to the testing and trials of our faith so that we can then be rewarded. Uh, and as a result of that reward, uh, we begin to know him more. We begin to see him more. So even though we don't see him, uh, we love him. And even though we not now see him, 
uh, we believe in him. And so that's the intent behind this passage. So that why we would have a, a hope and a joy that would, that's, uh, as the scripture here says, it's inexpressible and filled with glory, even to obtaining the outcome of our faith, outcome uh, of our uh, faith that we have, which would be the saving of our souls. And that's not just in the end time saving, but present day saving us. You think, well, so what? Why, why does that matter? Why, why does that, why should that encourage us and challenge us? Well, that's what we want to be able to see even today, the confidence that we can have in our salvation. He says, concerning this salvation. Now, I want to put it into practice for us to be able to see what this looks like. And you don't have to turn there, but just you can just write it in your notes. Hebrews chapter 10. I just want to read three verses out of Hebrews 10 for you. Verse 32 to 34 to see just a practical application of why this matters. Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. I'm just going to read it quickly. I won't comment much on it, but this is what it says. But recall the former days. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So you're going to, at times, and even in this nation, if we continue to head down the path that we're aggressively moving down, that ultimately the the thing that I'm doing this morning could at some point be forbidden. And the speech that I would share straight out of scripture could be considered hate speech. And the things that we so, um, sometimes so flippantly take uh, as this normative life isn't the way it is all over the world. They're, they're suffering for what we consider freedoms today and what are freedoms today. And so I started out to be able to say that in this, our brothers and sisters all across the world are experiencing what First, uh, First Peter has been sharing with us, what Hebrews is talking to us about. And so how then, for them to be publicly exposed and afflicted, they rejoice or even if they go minister to those in prison who were being publicly exposed uh, and mistreated, that they would then seize their property and their property and their possessions would be plundered. And what do they do? They rejoice in that. How do we get to that point? And I, I, this is the, in, the intent of First Peter's letters, to encourage us that what might be small sufferings now for us might one day move to greater sufferings, but regardless, the various trials that we walk through is God's means by demonstrating to us our faith and even the tested genuineness of our faith. It's, it's there to allow us to see, is Christ what we truly love most, more than anything else in this world? So as I talk to my own children about their salvation and try to explain salvation and the byproducts of it, here's the way I try to communicate it. You'll love Jesus more than anything and everything else on this planet. You'll love Christ more than anything and everything else on this planet. And that's why then they can yield their possessions to be plundered. Because why? My, this isn't my home. I'm, as First Peter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 says, I'm just an elect exile. I'm a chosen one. It's just a pilgrim and a stranger here on this planet. Only here for just a little while. And then we'll be with God forever in a place called heaven. And so it's that salvation that Peter wants them to come to a really good understanding of that he's going to continue to unpack for them difficulty after difficulty and how they would react and interact with sufferings, persecutions, and trials. And so that's what we want. That's what our goal is for us to be able to see this morning. Salvation. So we looked at two weeks ago, salvation, which is our hope, 
God's calls us to be born again to a living hope, one that doesn't die with dreams and aspirations or the dreams and aspirations I had as a kid or even I have today presently, but a hope that's certain, right? And then last week as we studied on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, as we begin to look at salvation, our joy. And even in the midst of trials and persecutions, it does not diminish our joy. And now we want to look at the concerning that salvation, the hope that we have, the joy that we have, what is it that Peter wants them to understand? He wants them to understand salvation, our confidence. And he wants to show them in, in a variety of four different ways to begin to walk through that. So the question on our notes this morning is, why should the believer have confidence then in their salvation? Well, I would begin to point them back to the first few verses that we've walked through. The first nine verses, uh, verses one through nine, would be sufficient. But Peter doesn't want to stop there. He wants to begin to unpack and show them how God's been working this out in the context of life. So the believer has confidence in their salvation because of four primary people or, or, uh, or uh, purposes in our lives, right? So, and there are through these, uh, these persons, as we will see as we walk through it. So the believer has confidence, number one, uh, in their salvation because of the prophets. The prophets. Now, if you understand the prophets, they were in the Old Testament. They would be Moses, uh, as far as the Old Testament writers, uh, that was to be Moses through Malachi. But if you move into the New Testament writings, there was still one more prophet uh, prior to the coming of Christ. And who was that last and final prophet before Christ? John the Baptist, right? And so he squeezes into the New Testament, but he's really an old covenant prophet because it was before Jesus established a new covenant uh, through the shedding of his blood. And so as a result of that, you see Moses through John the Baptist, right? But then as far as the writings themselves, it would be Moses through Malachi, Moses being the first prophet and then moving all the way up through Malachi as the final prophet of the Old Testament writings or writers. And so these Old Testament writers, as the scripture will communicate to us, did something, right? It says concerning this great salvation that we have, Peter wants them to have confidence in it. This marvelous salvation, considering this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them, these Old Testament prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel or the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So let's look at the prophets. How can the prophets begin to provide us encouragement, right? How can the prophets begin to provide us, as he, Peter was trying to bring encouragement to these New Testament believers there in the first century, how could it bring us encouragement and confidence? And it's first that the prophets foretold things, right? Prophets prophesied, right? They were communicating Things And they foretold some things. It says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. And what did the prophets prophesy? Talk to me. What does it say there? What was it the text lead us? What did they prophesy about? What was it? I hear it. I hear the last portions. Of, what is it? Right. Jesus was going to be providing what to us? Salvation and grace. Right? who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Now, you may have heard, as I, I've heard, or you begin to talk to people, that uh, those who would be a little bit uh, not very knowledgeable about the Bible would begin to say, God of the Old Testament, harsh, unkind, judgmental. God of the New Testament, Jesus, our homeboy, who loves us and is kind to everyone, right? 
That's, the Bible says that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you, it's, it's a weird way to look at it, and it's an uneducated way to look at it. So we would want to help people. And so as we begin to think through this, the Scripture is replete with examples of how God uh, in the Old Testament was gracious. And he was loving and he was kind. Exodus 33, 19, Jonah 4.2. It's Jonah 4.2. If you remember, Jonah was being sent to Nineveh, right? Uh, and he was there to be able to uh, proclaim to the hated enemy of uh, Israel at the particular time. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to see God lavish his grace on it. And listen to what Jonah, Jonah 4, 1 and 2 says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Why was Jonah uh, exceedingly angry at God? And he was displeased. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not, is not this why, uh, what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so he was angry because God was going to grant grace even to the enemies of Israel. And so if we're going to look at this, I want us to see even in the Old Testament or believe things about the Old Testament or about God that's not true. His character never changes. He does not change and he does not lie. And so he was been, has been gracious, is gracious, and will forever be gracious. He is a gracious and loving God. And so as a result of that, these prophets prophesied about that type of grace that was be ours. But it wasn't just um, to that particular time. He, it was a, a grace that was going to be given to us. As you continue to see, this grace was that there was going to be a Messiah, a Christ that was going to come. Right? You know what the text begins to, to, to share with us is that ultimately there was going to be the spirit of Christ that he predicted when the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories of Christ that we'll study in just a moment. And so as they begin to talk about this grace that was going to be granted to us, what was this salvation of that Messiah? Three major things you begin to see out of that. One was that he was going to suffer. Psalm 22 speaks of his suffering. Suffering. Isaiah 53 speaks about the suffering servant. That he was going to rule. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, Psalm chapter 16, Isaiah chapter 9. The government be put, put upon his shoulders. He was going to rule. And that lastly, the Messiah was going to save. He was going to rule. He was, he was going to suffer. He was going to rule. And he was going to save. Isaiah 61, where Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth and, and begins to quote Isaiah 61. As he opens up the scroll and that was exactly the place that it was... Um, uh, that it, they, he was given to read, and he then reads this great messianic text, and he sits down and says, today this, uh, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, and so that he was going to save. Romans 9, 25 and 26, Romans 9, 33 is, is, is uh, scriptures referenced from the Old Testament writers about this great salvation. It was not only to just be to the Jews, it was actually coming to the Gentiles. Romans 10, Romans 15, again and again and again, you see Paul just uh, throwing... Um, Text after text after text of Old Testament prophet after Old Testament prophet communicating about this great salvation that wasn't simply to the Jews, but was going to actually go to the Gentiles as well. And so this is the grace that now they're looking back and they're saying, see, God has always been saying this was going to happen. And Peter's writing to these exiles, to these pilgrims and strangers on this planet, Jews and Gentiles alike. And he's communicating and saying, guys, have confidence in the word of God because this has been foretold. And that's the same benefits we have, right? When people begin to question our God, and the only way we know our God is by his word and through his spirit. The spirit gives interpretation to the word, and that's why we're so word-centered here, why we're so word-driven here is because why? My feelings and your feelings can lie to us. 
My heart is deceitfully wicked in its flesh. Now, I've been given a new heart that can respond to the graces of God and the word of God. But up until that time, my heart was deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? Now I have the ability to be able to know my own heart to some degree, right? But yet the Bible would say again and again and again, do not be deceived, right? Don't be deceived in, my, in your flesh. Don't be deceived by the devil. Don't be deceived by the world. But in this, we can be deceived. And so we don't want you just going by feelings where I feel like God said or God did this. No, we need to go by what the word communicates. What are the commands of God? What are the encouragements of God? What's the word of God? What's the character of God? And let that encourage us because that's what will not change. And so as a result of this, this is what was foretold. The scriptures that are given to us can encourage us because why? There's been prophecy after prophecy after prophecy fulfilled in and through the life of Christ. And so these prophets knew that it wasn't for them. It was... It was, to, it was a grace that was to be ours. And so what did they do? The prophets searched. This is there. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace was to be yours. Searched and inquired carefully. Searched and inquired. And how do they do it? Very carefully, diligently, or intensely. And so they were, they were pursuing even what they had been given. So God begins to give them prophecies and they prophesy, they begin to communicate the word of God to the people of that particular day. And as they communicate to it, they go, well, this Messiah is supposed to be coming. And if he's coming, then when is he coming? Who is this Messiah and when will he come? And this is exactly what you begin to see them searching and inquiring diligently for, carefully for. Right? As you see in verse 11, inquiring or in searching what person or time the spirit in Christ in them was indicating, right? And so we, they were beginning to search and inquire carefully about who, what person, or when, what time that this person was going to be coming. All through the Old Testament, you begin to see that there's when prophecies were given and, and judgments would be given, they were, they were, you were, God was giving both. If you look through, as we did our study through the entire Bible back in uh, 2012, we just had systematically read chronologically through the Bible and then we were preaching from it. I remember during the heat of summer, right? It were probably the, the months of uh, May through about August, September. We were going through the minor prophets, the major minor prophets. And I know you guys were like laboring under it. You were thinking, oh my goodness, this is... Well, for those who were here. And I remember by the time October came and we got to the New Testament, there was such zeal in our hearts because we, we were so encouraged that Christ, this Christ, all this prophecies were foretelling but at the same time it was judgment upon judgment upon judgment and yet there was this glimmer of hope i'm going to send the christ the messiah and when he comes he's going to bring salvation he's going going to all things are going to be new and i just remember that that tension there and so i I, when this these they got to think through the same way that these guys who lived it are going what person who is this messiah what time when is he coming? And so you begin to see this. And so as we read through it, Isaiah 611 begins to say, how long, O Lord? How long will this take place? Daniel chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. Habakkuk 1, 2, again and again and again and again. The scriptures are replete with the prophet saying, how long will you tarry? How long will you, will you remain uh, until you finally send the anointed one, the Messiah? And you see this is exactly the case in Matthew chapter 13. In verse 17, look what it says. And it's even quoting from that passage in Isaiah. I'll just back up and read it because this exactly comes right out of that passage where uh, Isaiah the prophet was teaching. And it says in verse 14 of Matthew 13, 
Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You indeed hear, but never understand. And you indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So this is the prophecy, even what Jesus is communicating, why he's using parables at the time. Jesus was teaching in parables, and people would begin to come up to him and, and couldn't quite understand it. He said, man, I'm fulfilling what was, what was taking place in the prophets, the prophecy that was being fulfilled. And so you hear a pastor tell you sometimes, oh, man, he was using these parables to make it simple for the people. That is not true. I hear many times pastors talk about all these illustrations they want to use and use all these pagan things to try to bring culture into the church, and they want to quote the God's, Jesus' use of parables. That is not at all what was happening when Jesus used parables. If it was so obvious and Jesus was trying to make it so simple for them, why in the world is he quoting from Isaiah talking about they will hear but not understand and they'll see but not see? It was judgment upon very hard-hearted people that can be like my heart and your heart. We come to church to get, but we don't come to church to get God. We come to get health and wealth and prosperity and a variety of other things. And that's not at all what Jesus was doing with the parables. That's why... Disciples would come to Jesus afterwards and go, what is up with the parable of the sower and the soil? What's the four soils about? And they would come to him again and again and again and go, I don't understand. And then he makes this claim out of Matthew 13. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now listen to this. Why why did the Old Testament prophets search these, these prophecies that were given to him? Listen to what Matthew 13, 17 says. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What was he talking about? He was talking about himself. These prophets longed to know what person? Who? Or what time? When will he come? And Jesus is saying, they wanted to know when the Christ was coming, and I am he. Oh, many prophets and righteous persons long to hear what you hear and long to see what you see. And blessed are you because you get to hear and see me. Be encouraged, saints. Yes, we don't see him physically on this planet, but we've been giving God's word, and we have the prophecies being fulfilled through Centuries upon centuries upon centuries of prophecies that would, if one of them were fulfilled, would be miraculous. But hundreds were fulfilled. We are blessed. And so we should have confidence in that the prophets foretold, the prophets searched, and the prophets served. Even then, the prophets were serving us. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The prophets did understand this wasn't for them, but it was just for a later date. This was for someone else. And guess what? Who those someone else are. Those someone else is us. How blessed are we? If you begin to look at Hebrews chapter 11, listen to these words. As he's walking through these, the hall of faith, these many who have been born again, uh, or the many who have walked faithfully in the Old Testament, they weren't born again, but who those who walked faithfully in the Old Testament. Look what he says here in Hebrews chapter 13, 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, 
and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They, began, they, they saw it to some degree. They had an understanding of what God was going to do. Not fully, but even in that, it was, a, it was enough for them to be able to realize, man, it's worth it. All the difficulty that we'd begin to see. And we look at Hebrews 11 and we go, man, yes, but if I, man, if I saw the Red Sea part, I'd believe in Christ. Man, if I, if I, if I began to see, like, it put me in the fiery furnace and, man, I didn't burn up, man, I, I would believe in Christ. Well, I, I agree with that sentiment to some degree, but it's not, it's not enough, right? King Ahab saw fire being called down from heaven, and did he believe in the God of Elijah? No, he goes home, and what did he tell his wife? He could have called and said, honey, you will not believe what happened today. There was the 400 prophets of Asherah, the 450 prophets of Baal. They were all there. Man, that's the guys that are leading us to worship some false god. And there's just one prophet, this measly little one prophet. It's like 850 to 1 or 450 to 1. And, and so, man, it's, it's just one guy. And he came up on Mount Carmel and he challenged those prophets. He says, let's see who, whose God really is the God of the universe. And so our prophets were all for hours and hours were cutting themselves and crying out to their God. And meanwhile, Elijah's making fun of them. Well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he's just tied up right now. I mean, this is in the scripture. You've got to read it. First Kings chapter 17. He's making fun of them. And he says, well, and after many times he says, listen, now let me call to my God. And he begins to pray. And remember what he had done. He had made an altar and, and sacrifice to the one true living God. He even had them dump water on it, which is precious this time because this was a drought. Three and a half years it had not rained at the command of God through his prophet Elijah. He said, man, dump this valuable water on this sacrifice. And he begins to pray. And God sends down fire. And what did Ahab go home and say? You will not believe what happened today. Crazy prophet of God killed all of our prophets. And you remember his wife, Jezebel? Became livid. She swore that day, before that day was over, Elijah would be dead. And she can swear all she wants. She didn't swear by anything, right? God's sovereign and in control. She can make all the promises that she wants to make, but God's sovereign over that, sovereign over the life of his saints, sovereign over the life of those who aren't his saints. And as a result of that, God showed himself mighty and strong and powerful, right? And so in this, they, it's not just those Marvelous saints. It's not just if we were saw these things. Listen to the saints who didn't uh, fare as well as some of those who were in Hebrews chapter 11. He went through and he says, What more shall I say in Hebrews 11? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and of Samuel, and the prophets, who through their faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained uh, promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched power fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then right in the middle of verse 35, listen to what he says before you think, well, man, I'd believe if I saw these mighty things, or I'd believe if only good things happened to me. Well, listen to the rest of these. 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now listen to this. They served us. How did these individuals serve us? And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. See, in this Hebrews, it continues to tell us that these Old Testament prophets, these Old Testament saints, weren't simply serving them. Weren't serving, that message just wasn't for them. That message did apply to them, but it was preparing us an opportunity to be able to look back and have confidence in this great salvation. That's exactly what Peter's trying to communicate. All of that I've just communicated to you, this joy that you should be able to have. It's the same, it's more intense now than it even was for the Old Testament saints. So be encouraged by that. They served you in what they were doing. And so the Old Testament prophets foretold, they searched, and they served. And that's one of the means that we should have confidence today. Number two, the believer has confidence in salvation only because of the prophets, because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit. First Peter chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. These prophets were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. So he first talks about the Spirit of Christ that was in the Old Testament prophets. But then he continues. It was revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced. So how has it been announced? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But that was the apostles and the disciples. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news. To you by whom? By the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament, and the Holy Spirit was active in the New Testament. Different, so it didn't interact the same way, but yet the Holy Spirit was active. And so what is, why should we have confidence? Because, number one, the Holy Spirit inspired. The Holy Spirit inspired. What did He inspire? He inspired the Scriptures to us. They were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. That word indicating begins to speak of something being foretold ahead of time, which is why we, those prophecies were able to be told to us, indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so this is something that he foreknew ahead of time. It was going to be asking them and begin, or begin communicating through them, and so it was inspired. And so uh, if you turn over to Second Peter chapter 1, I just want to show you a couple of scriptures that will help us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. So this is the second letter that Peter writes. But he says in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no, one's, no, one pro, uh, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. So they didn't just come up with this stuff on their own. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own inter- interpretation. For no prophecy, verse 21, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now you begin to say, but people say all the time that they're a prophet of God. Even today, in our particular time, they say they're a prophet of God. Well, first of all, today, men don't speak for God in the same way. You think, well, you're speaking for God right now, but I'm not making up stuff. That's why I want you to stay close to the text. There's many of a preacher who does make up stuff. Pastor Tim and I try to be very careful that we don't want to preach anything that would not be in in concert with what the Scripture teaches. 
We want to just teach what our only authority, the only authority that you should ever yield and submit to us and listen to us is if we preach the Bible. We get outside the Bible, you should quit listening. Why? That's our only authority we have. It, that is all. And yes, I could be more eloquent in saying other things. I could probably be more encouraging. I could just tell a whole bunch of stories. That I tell far more illustrations. But none of that's power. The only power we have is the Spirit of God through the Word of God. I can encourage you. That's only as far as in as much that you get out of this place and somebody cuts you off in traffic and the Spirit of God isn't in you and the Word of God's not in you. You have no ability or power or authority to overcome sin when you leave this parking lot. You don't think it's true? You've not been attending church very long. You might even make it to the parking lot before somebody might make you mad. I've left this building angry. Not often, but it has happened, right? Getting a conversation with somebody, they're, they're kind of cross, and I shouldn't be angry, but be angry and sin not, so I try not to sin. But nonetheless, it's possible. And so the only thing that's going to help us is that the Word of God is in us, and the Spirit of God can take the Word of God and work through us. That's just why we want to give you the Word. And so in the, many prophets, many people say they're a prophet, they speak for God, but listen, we can only speak for God in, in, as, in as much as we speak his words that have been given to us. We don't have the authority to be able to speak for God apart from his word. I don't care what anyone says. They say there was succession from popes all the way back down from, from Peter. He was the first pope. Not true. You see the, the priesthood of the believer in the New Testament. Clearly, we'll get, we'll get there even in First Peter. And so in this, the Spirit of God dwells in us. But yet we speak for God in as much as we stay in the word of God. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And so in this, even with this, even Old Testament prophets spoke for God as he gave them prophecy. And so how do you know if this was that in that day it was a prophet? Well, there was pretty tough requirements. If what you said was of God, it, you quoted this came from God and it didn't happen, you die. And that would make preaching a lot more. You wouldn't see as many preachers out there today. If we say, hey, if you don't preach the Bible, you die, right? You probably wouldn't see as many preachers preaching the nonsense we're preaching today behind many pulpits. Which is why I'm not welcoming suffering, but if judgment began to fall on this United States of America, you'd see a purging of the church in a hurry. You'd see a purging of the church in a hurry. And it may not be a bad thing. It may not be a bad thing. So the Holy Spirit inspired See the same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, right? God breathed it out by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be confident and equipped for every good work. So the Word of God was granted to us by the Holy Spirit, and it was inspired. The Holy Spirit not only inspired, it predicted but it says there in verse 11, inquiring what time or person the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he, when the Holy Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You think, well, so the Old Testament predicted Christ would suffer and that he would be glorified. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just going to give you just a, a list of these sufferings. Just write them down. We don't have time to read them all, but it's, it's great. If you've ever done a a study on the, the prophecies fulfilled by Christ. I encourage you to be able to do so. And uh, I think in, in, Dale, in Dale's class, you're gonna, he's going to hang that up in, in his class. And um, we, uh, we, had, we were given, just not too long ago, we, Pastor Tim and I were at a conference and was given a, 
whole poster of just the prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ. And so uh, it could be a real help to us. But let's just listen to some of these sufferings of Christ from the Old Testament. Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Isaiah 52. Now, Isaiah 52, uh, beginning around verse 13 through 5312, uh, is just a, a, a marvelous passage about the suffering of Christ. Zechariah 12.10, Zechariah 13.7, and there's a whole longer list I'm not going to give you that I could, I could give you. If you want it, feel free to email us or, or just research it on, on the web. But the sufferings of Christ was predicted by the Holy Spirit through the prophets at that particular time. And then not only that, but the subsequent glories of God. The subsequent glories of God. And basically, what, what did that mean? Well, he's going to talk about his suffering, which right would be the crucifixion. But then the, and it doesn't stay there. He continues to talk about then the resurrection, the ascension, and ultimately the exaltation of Christ, being seated at the right hand of God. The Father also is in the Old Testament. But I just want to show you as it's, just to communicate, I could give you a whole list of verses, but let me just show you this. Turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Hold your place there in First Peter because we are coming back, but I just want to show you this. I like the scripture to, in, to give you reference or interpret itself. So Luke 24, I want you to see this being played out for us. Luke 24, we're going to talk about the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories of Christ. This passage is speaking of that comes out of the Old Testament. Look, what, look where we see this. Even in this. So this is the gospel according to Luke. Luke traveled with Paul. And so he was a medical doctor, became born again, and then traveled with Paul. Uh, deeply intellectual man and theological man at that. I mean, um, uh, some of the best Greek uh, was, was uh, written by uh, Luke. And so um, uh, extremely helpful for us today. But looking at Luke uh, 24, beginning in verse 25. Luke 24, beginning in verse 25. This is the disciples that were walking on the road of Emmaus, and Jesus shows up with them, and they don't recognize it's him, and uh, he begins talking to them. And look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You see it there? The sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glory. There it is. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Holy Spirit had granted these men, had carried these men along to be able to prophesy things that was going to be fulfilled hundreds of years later. So when we talk about being encouraged by the prophets, let's not give the prophets the credit. Who was it that spoke to the prophets? Who's the one who carried the prophets along? Talk to me. The Spirit. Thank you. Come on. Right? The Spirit is the one who, who carried them along. Look at again in the same passage. Look at verse 44. Now he's with his, the 12 or the 11, right? And a few others. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. That's the sufferings of Christ. And on the third day, rise from the dead. That's the glory of Christ. The, the um, resurrection, the ascension, the exaltation. And on the third day, rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in, name of, uh, in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are my witness of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. And so you see the Spirit of God at work in the Old Testament inspiring, indicating to these, predicting to these prophets what was going to be happening centuries later. And so then it wasn't simply that. 
but ultimately what would be happening. And it would be explained. Jesus explained it to these disciples, and now these disciples were going to be explaining it to others, which we'll get to in just a moment. And then finally, the Holy Spirit not only inspired, predicted, but he revealed. He revealed it to these Old Testament prophets. He says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And so he revealed it to the Old Testament prophets, what was taking place, and he revealed it by the Spirit to those disciples, and the disciples revealing it to others who would become disciples, who revealed it to others who become disciples. And so we're dependent upon the Spirit to understand the Word of God. This is found in Hebrews chapter 11, as I read earlier, uh, 13 through 16, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39 and 40. And so you see the Spirit being necessary, right? As it went to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, and it went to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, that they would begin to preach the gospel, and the Spirit of God would come upon them, and they would understand the Scriptures. And so I would just encourage you, as you are having your daily reading, at Luke 24, 44 through uh, 45 passages, that he says he opened their mind, they might understand the Scriptures. Pray that before you read. I've been doing that for years. Just as I begin to study the Word of God, just go, Oh God. Would you open my mind, the Spirit of God in me, would you open my mind that I might understand what I'm reading today? Pray the Scriptures to God. He will honor it. And so, the believer has confidence in their salvation because of the prophets, the Holy Spirit, and now, number three, disciples. We have confidence because of the disciples. Disciples that are here on this planet today and disciples that were clearly here on this planet prior to our day. And so it says here in verse 12, it was revealed to them, to the Old Testament prophets, they were serving not themselves, but you, uh, Peter, who Peter was writing to in the first century, and yes, and every subsequent believer that followed, but not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel or the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And so this being announced, so how are we encouraged by and have confidence in the disciples? Because they announce the scriptures to us. They announce the gospel to us. In Acts chapter 2, don't, you don't have to turn there, but uh, there's a when Peter's preaching the very first Christian sermon after Pentecost, it says this, And Peter was standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So what was happening? Uh, those who were... Uh, God had brought judgment upon his people uh, in the Old Testament, so they were dispersed, right? Syrian attacked the northern kingdom Israel and scattered them and colonized amongst them, made them... Um, uh, half-breeds weren't full Jews at that particular time because they were mixing with the Gentiles. And so then the southern kingdoms get uh, exiled out to Babylon when the Babylonian kingdom come and took over the southern kingdom of Judah. And so you see the dispersion of his people. And so then uh, as a result of that, not all made it back uh, to Jerusalem after that. And so they were continuing to be dispersed. But then once freed up, they, could, they would go. And at once a year at the Day of Atonement, they would begin to come, Yom Kippur, they would begin to come for the sacrifice, which then became Passover after, or uh, was Passover, then became the Lord's Supper. It was instituted in the Lord's Supper in John chapter 13. But they would come from the nations. And so as a result of that, they'd begin to take on other languages. And so you have Jews who were coming back to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. And as a result of that, they were, spoke different languages. And so then the, the gift of tongues was given them. They'd be able to speak a variety of languages. And as they spoke those languages, people began to go, man, these guys are drunk. Look at these Jews, and they're, they're drunk. And they said, no, we're not drunk. We're speaking the language of the people so that the word of God could go forth. And so they began to proclaim a language they didn't know to, to teach the gospel to all these nations, all these Jewish nations, Jews that were in a variety of other nations that had returned back to Jerusalem. And so that's why he says, we're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet 
Joel. So this is being announced to them. And this is what they announced at the time. In the last days it shall be God, uh, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show you wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great day and great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then they said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosened the pangs of death, because it was, it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says thus concerning him. Here you go to see even prophecies again. By, by David, I saw the Lord always before me. He was at my right hand, and I may not, uh, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You make, full, you make me full of gladness with your presence. And then he continued on to begin to share about further prophecies that were being fulfilled. And it was being announced by the disciples. It was being announced. And that's what was then penned and put down on paper for us. So that we, so we could have what was announced to them. And we begin to understand who Christ is in light of the Old Testament. That was the, the word that's been announced. And so you see this Old Testament prophet's words, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32, being read or being quoted by Peter uh, in Acts chapter 2 uh, at Pentecost, communicating to us this great hope that we have, this great confidence we can have in the Scripture. And so it was announced by the disciples, and it was preached by the disciples. It says it was real to them, verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 1, they were not serving themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Preaching the good news. And that's what I desire to do today is begin to continue to give you confidence, announcing and preaching the gospel, God's good news to us sinners who deserve God's wrath for our open treason and rebellion against our sovereign king and uh, creator. And as a result of that, we don't have to because why? God sent his son, born of a virgin, which showed he didn't have a sin nature. Never had a bad thought, bad action, bad attitude, bad word, bad deed. Lived a perfect life in full obedience to God for God's glory. Because why? He was God. He is God. And then died the death that we deserved. Rose again the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and fulfilling all the prophecies that were prophesied about him. And then ascended and was exalted at the right hand of God, right hand of the majesty on high. And is there making intercession for all who repent and place their faith and trust in him. If you've not done that, I encourage you to see how great our God is. All the prophecies, he is sovereign from the beginning to end. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's gracious, loving, and kind. But yes, he is so loving that he hates sin. Right? That is love. I saw somebody brutally attacking my wife because I love her. I wouldn't stand back and go, you probably shouldn't do that. I love my wife and I love you. And No, because I love my wife and because what that person is doing to my wife is, is sinful, I would have a natural wrath against the sin that was being carried out upon my wife. Would I not? And that would be loving and so as a result of that, God infinitely more loving 
has a wrath against sin. And he must punish it. And he's just to punish it. We want mercy, but we also want justice. We do. As a nation, we want it. As individuals, we want it. We want justice for somebody else. We want mercy for ourselves. Well, if that worked out for everyone, it would not work out for anyone. Right? I get mercy. You all get justice. You all get mercy. Everyone else gets justice. Well, that's not going to work. And so God grants mercy to whom he wills. But yet at the same time, God's made a means for us. We should see how great our God is. We see how great our sin is in light of him. And we should see how great our Savior is that God sent to make payment for us. That's what I ask my kids to pray. Pray that God would open your eyes and you see how great he is. Characters and attributes of God. If you want to know that, we're going to have a study on the attributes of God. Right? Theology of God's character. Theology of God coming up. The attributes of God by A.W. Pink. And then we're going to have a theology of man, sinfulness of man, right? Respectable sins next week or next time around on our Wednesday night class. Why do we need to see both of those? Because we see God for who he is. We see ourselves for who we are. And we realize there's no hope apart from God sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you to pray as I'm encouraging my kids to pray. If you're not sure you're a born again believer, pray that God would open your eyes and see how great he is, how great your sin is, and how great the Savior is to make payment for any who'd repent and believe. If you're not done, I encourage you to do so. We'd love to talk to you after the service and that. Because why? As a disciple myself, I want to announce and I want to preach to you the good news. Right? That's why we want you to have these notes. Because now as a disciple, you can provide confidence to someone else. And we want you to have notes about what you received. That you can reproduce it in somebody else's life. Why? Because that's the confidence we have as disciples. We announce and we proclaim the great news. That's why Romans chapter 10 as he's in walk through Paul, as he's riding to the church in Rome, has walked through eight chapters of the gospel, how the gospel impacts our lives. In chapter 9, he begins to look at the children of Israel, and he says, man, or he looks at the Gentiles and the children of Israel, and he begins to talk about God's, God's mercy and God's plan and God's compassion and the role of salvation. And in chapter 10, he says that his heart's desire and prayer to God for those Israelites is they may be saved. And he says, for I bear witness that, that I have a zeal for God, not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So he begins to talk about the Jews and how they have rejected Christ. But notice what he says after this. He quote, also quotes Joel. And he says, uh, uh, for everyone who calls on him the Lord will be saved. And then look at verse 14. But how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. The point is, you can have confidence as we look back. that has been 2,000 years worth of disciples. It's brought the word faithfully to us. Who have announced and preached the good news to us. And until Christ comes back, he will continue to work through his people upon which if you've repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are one of those disciples. And we are mandated to communicate God's love and his mercy and his kindness to those who have never heard. How will they hear if they've never heard? How will they hear if no one preaches? And it's not just for us 
preachers on the pulpit, but for all disciples to be making disciples of all the nations, Matthew chapter 28. And so we have confidence because the prophets, the Holy Spirit, and the disciples. Last one, and we'll finish up. We have confidence not only because of the prophets, the Holy Spirit, the disciples, but also the angels. Now, this is really interesting. Look at the, the very last portion of Scripture. It says they were, it was revealed to them in verse 12, that the Old Testament prophets, that they were serving out themselves, but you, the first century believers, and us as well, and the things that have now been announced to them and to us through those who preach the good news, that's the disciples, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Think about that. Things? What things? Well, the gospel. The sufferings of Christ. The subsequent glories that followed. And now that the ability to be able to see that, man, the disciples are now preaching this good news and sinners are repenting. And so the angels are looking into this. Why are they looking into this? Well, two things. Number one, the angels desired. Angels desired something. What, what was their desire? We'll, uh, we'll talk about the, what they desired in just a minute. Let's talk about the desire itself. What is, where do we see that in the passage? Where it says, in things, things into which the angels long to look. The word long there. It means an overpowering impulse, a strong desire. A desire that's not fulfilled and a desire that's not satisfied. If you want, that's all from a positive. If you want to look at it in a negative, it means to lust after. Right? So that's what we say, well, man, you shouldn't lust after that person. Right? And that'd be from a negative, to lust after. Same word, right? Overpowering impulse, strong desire. Desire not fulfilled, not satisfied. So that's the, that's the intent here that you, you see these angels longing to look into this gospel, this salvation that's happening. Because why? The angels don't need to be saved, angels aren't sinning. Right? The angels are, 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 are they're messengers of God carrying out God's will and God's purposes. And it says that these, this gospel concerning this salvation, these angels longed to look. They had the strong desire for it. And then what were they, this desire to do what? To look. That's, what does that mean? That the desire, angels only desired, but the angels stooped. The angels stooped. That's an unusual word. We don't typically use the word stoop very often. But the angels desired, the angels stooped. Where do I get that? What's. What the word can be translated it means to stretch forward your head, right? So you are trying to get a closer look. So you're just kind of leaning forward and stretching your head. It can also mean to bend down the head. So it's you're leaning over to kind of look and to bend down the head. Exactly the word that was used in John chapter 20, verse 5. Remember on the resurrection Sunday? And they, the ladies had come back and began to tell them what had happened about the, Jesus being uh, risen from the dead. And so it says that... Um, Peter and John ran together, and that Peter outran John. And that when he got to the, the tomb, is what it says in chapter 20, verse 5 of the gospel according to John. John chapter 20, verse 5, it says, stooping to look in. It's the same word, stooping to look in. It means to look. And so he's bending over. And so what you're having is a, a strong desire that will not be satisfied. The angels are kind of stretching out their necks, if you will, and they're stooping to look in because they're going, Look at this salvation that God's doing. Why would he save Kevin? And why would he do that? 
Man, why would he save Saul of Tarsus? Why would he do that? And as they, because they're not omniscient, they're not God. They're just messengers, created beings, different from us. We're not going to get to heaven and all of a sudden we're going to sprout wings and be flying away all the places, right? We're going to have a glorified body, but it's going to be like our body is today, right? That's the reason why Adam and Eve aren't angels, right? Angels will continue to be angels and humans will continue to be humans, right? A divinely created human as we get our resurrected bodies, but we're, we're not going to start being angels. Angels are angels, and so angels don't need to be saved from their sin, Right? And so as a result of that, we do. And so the angels are looking over and they're, they're, they're seeing, man, why would God save Saul? And yet they see the grace of God being poured out in and through Saul's life. And that he's now one of these disciples that's bringing confidence through the gospel. And the angels are amazed. They glory in God, which is what they were created to do, as they look at God's means of salvation in the life. Humans, sinners like you and I. What do we know about angels? Well, there, you see angels looking at a variety of passages. I'm not going to read all these to you. You want to write them down, you'll see. And there's more than this, but just um, kind of a cursor, cursory level of just looking at angels throughout the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4 9 it talks about angels looking into the apostles' life. 1 Corinthians 4 9. Ephesians chapter 3 10 it talks about angels or the heavenly hosts looking at the manifold wisdom of God and saving Jews and Gentiles in the context of the church. Revelations 5, 19 through 13, or 9 through 13, I'm sorry. Revelations 5, 9 through 13 speaks about angels uh, in the context of uh, a whole host of, of humans as well. You see angels at the birth of Christ, Luke chapter 2, 8 through 15, as they declare his coming to earth. You see angels in the temptation of Christ, Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, where angels came and strengthened uh, the Lord Jesus. You see an angel in the Garden of Gethsemane. You may have missed this through your reading through the uh, the readings of Holy Week of uh, uh, Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22, verse 43. You see an angel came and ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ there in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he began to sweat drops of blood. You see angels at the resurrection. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 7. And so they're there and they're, they're part of sufferings of Christ. They're part of the subsequent glories of Christ. And now they're, they're observing what's taking place. You see, wow. Why, why, why would it give us confidence? Pastor, why would angels and angels desiring to look in give us confidence? Well, I think one of the key texts that could help us there, and this, you can turn there if you don't want to, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is uh, hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He's speaking with them, ministering to them. Tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees started showing up, and they weren't happy at all. They weren't excited that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. Felt like the Messiah should be worshiping them like all the people did. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, you guys all put these, these Pharisees on the pedestal, man, and they're nothing. They're sinners just like you. He says, your righteousness needs to exceed that. And that blew the people's minds. But he was trying to poke the Pharisees in the eye, if you will. And so these, these Pharisees are grumbling and complaining. It says the Pharisees in Luke chapter 15, verse 2, the Pharisees and scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And Jesus picks up on that. And he tells them three stories. He tells them a story of a lost sheep. There was a hundred sheep. One of them wanders off and shepherd goes and finds it. 
Tells him about a lost coin. A woman had ten silver coins and she loses one of them. She diligently searches for them and she finds it. And then the prodigal son, which is about a lost son. It's not about a born-again son who is backslidden. So don't try to make parables all fit together and everything has to mean something. There's one meaning behind it. So it's a parable of, once again, the situation here is Jesus hanging out with lost people and other lost people, the Pharisees, are upset about it. And Jesus says, listen, the whole, all three stories is about repentance, salvation. That's why you get to the very end. Verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. And so the Pharisees were the older brother. Lost man, lost son, the younger son who ran away was the younger brother was these tax collectors and sinners. Both were lost. The father was willing to receive all of them in the story. That father would be God. He desires all who repent to believe. And so how do we know this? Verse 7, you see about the parable of the, uh, the, the hundred sheep. Finally find the lost sheep that was, that was gone. It's verse 7. says, just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. He'd need no repentance. That's all. Everyone needs repentance. He was just saying, these Pharisees are self-righteous. And in verse 10, here's how it ties into angels. About the lost coin. Finds the coins. And it says this in verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents so why should the angels looking in to the first century believers and this salvation that angels have a strong desire that will never be satisfied bend over they stoop over and they bend their heads down to be able to just get a picture of why do they do that it's because be encouraged by this we have a gospel that still saves sinners and that sinners still all over this planet repent of sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus. Be encouraged by that. And there's times as a pastor I think, Lord, is anybody being saved anymore? Lord, are you saving sinners anymore from their sin? Seems like nobody wants this gospel that we preach. But yet angels all over this planet have a strong desire. They long to look, to stoop and to bend. See the grace of God being poured forth as disciples proclaim a gospel, good news, by the inspiration of the Spirit that was foretold centuries ago by prophets. That's the confidence we have in this gospel. Concerning this salvation, the prophets of old searched and inquired what person, who would come, what time, when would he come? And they looked forward to Christ and this great salvation that he would deliver. Now we look back, very similar to them, to Christ and the salvation that he has brought. And we can trust in that salvation. Are you trusting in that salvation today? If so, you're a saint. And if you're not, you're still a sinner who needs repentance. But be encouraged. All of heaven will rejoice, including the angels, when you do. And there are disciples there's the Spirit of God and there's the Word of God that can come alongside of you to help you in your journey. If that's not you today, I encourage you. The Bible says, do not harden your heart, for today is the day of salvation, even for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.